Thank you for that uh, the encouragement and the prayer this morning as well. My name is Christos, and I'm a pastor here in, um, in South Queensland, in Brisbane. And, you know, one of the things that really excites me the most, um, you know, I get to work with a lot of young people, but something that excites me the most is when people get to hear and experience the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing makes me more excited than that. And, you know, I grew up as a Christian. I actually grew up as, as a Seventh-day Adventist. And I grew up going to church my entire life. And my parents uh, raised me in a pretty, um, pretty solid Christian home. And, but there comes a point where Christianity starts to become your own. And I used to make a lot of deals with God because, unfortunately, sometimes when it comes to being raised as a Christian, we kind of get caught with a lot of ideas about Christianity that are not necessarily true. And one of them was, you know, I grew up in a, in a pretty strict home and my family, just an example, we would keep the, you know, keep in Sabbath, you know, go to church on Saturday and we lived in Townsville in North Queensland and we'd, we'd go to church and sing the three hymn sandwich and go home and wait for lunch and we'd be going to my cousin's house for lunch and there was this pool. Oh, it was, looked so glorious. But, you know, one of the ways my family liked to honour the Sabbath was by uh, foreign to some of you. But my mum would say things like, oh, no, you're not allowed to go swimming on Sabbath. But mum, it's like 30 degrees and 100% humidity. I have to go swimming. She's like, no, no, no. Anyway, so things like this, we just kind of got raised in a Christian home. We, we heard about Jesus, but we kind of picked up all these little beliefs or all these little practices along the way that we actually thought were in the Scriptures. And what that sometimes led for me in my experience with, with Jesus was this idea that if I did the wrong thing or if I did go swimming on Sabbath or whatever it might be, for example, then I've done something really bad against God. And so I come into my teenage years and I wanted to experience God and I wanted, wanted to have a relationship with Him but I thought in order for me to get something from God, I had to give him something first. And so I would make deals with God. And one of the deals I would make with God is, okay, God, this week when we play football, I promise I won't get in, into a fight. And I won't yell at the ref or anything like that. And if I do that successfully, then I know that you will forgive me for my sin. Has anyone ever done anything like that? All right. So that's what I did with God. I made this deal with God. And so um, I was like made sure I read my Bible every day and prayed really hard and, and all these things. And then come Sunday morning to play um, football for the Milton Ulladulla Bulldogs, if anyone knows uh, the South Coast of New South Wales. Right. And then, you know, those people that just get in your head and um, you just want to be that little cheeky guy on the field. All right. That was me. Couldn't control myself. And then I would walk away feeling 10 times worse because not only did I do something that wasn't nice to someone else, but I broke a deal with God. Okay, all right, God, I know I stuffed this up, but this time, okay, not only will I not get into a fight at football, but I won't get into trouble at school, and then you'll know I'm serious, and then I, I know that you will forgive me. All right, so... Went to school on Monday, 
trying my hardest. But sometimes my mates weren't the best mates to be around, you know what I mean? And I was just one of those students, sorry to say Yola, uh, but I was one of those students that I'd walk into the classroom sometimes and I'd be like, that's like Christos, you're not even allowed in this class. And out you go, right? Out to the principal's office, whatever it might be. And like, even if I tried my hardest, I would always just end up in trouble. And because I made a deal with God that I wouldn't get in trouble, the guilt was even worse than if I didn't make a deal with God because I feel like now there's no way God would ever forgive me because I didn't honor my deal with God. Is anyone here a negotiator like that with God? You know, when you're like, make a deal with God. And it, it, it may not be as trivial as uh, getting in trouble at school. It might be more serious. Like, you might make a deal with God. All right, God, you're going to heal my loved one um, because I am doing the right thing and I'm, and I'm a good person and I'm a moral person. Therefore, you know, because of that, you have to heal my loved one. Has anyone ever, you know, heard of that, of that type of negotiation with God before? And unfortunately... The natural way that in which we think is human beings is to make deals with God. And when we share our faith with others, sometimes that comes through as well, where we need to make deals with God and we need to negotiate with God. But the problem with that is we don't have anything God wants. Which is actually a pretty hard thing to accept sometimes. So I went through my teenage years making these deals with God and, and every time I'd failed a deal, I'd have to double down and make even more deals, um, like better promises to God, greater promises to God to prove to him that I was serious about having a relationship with him. The problem was it never grew a relationship with God. It grew a relationship with myself. And so often we get this picture of Christianity or you know, we grow up as Christians or Christianity might be new, say Christianity is. And the best way I can put it is, is that we, in our natural way of thinking, believe that Christianity comes about successfully through people's ability to achieve something, through people's ability to offer God something good, through people's ability to say, look, I'm a moral person. But the problem with that is, is God doesn't want anything that we have to offer. But we don't know that unless we actually come to know God. So I wanna, I'm going to read some scriptures uh, with you this morning. And I'm going to start off in the book of Romans. The book of Romans, chapter 12. And it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God is. Now, this Bible text actually challenges the whole idea that we can negotiate with God, we can broker deals with God, like we think we're mortgage brokers of salvation, right? And, uh, and this Bible text is actually a huge challenge because it's actually saying, you know, to be a Christian means that we are a living sacrifice for God. But what does that mean? Does that mean that I go and burn all my, um, my um, CDs and DVDs and like um, all my books that aren't, aren't about Christianity? Is that what that means? Is that what a living sacrifice is? Is, is a living sacrifice someone who doesn't have any fun? Um, 
You know, and unfortunately for some people in their experience of Christianity, and I borderline with this in my experience as well, that is what it means to be a living sacrifice. You know, um, you know what? If you know to give up something enjoyable because because for some reason you're not allowed to enjoy things if you're a Christian. But that's not what this is talking about. This idea of being a living sacrifice is this idea that because you have a relationship with God, you can respond to him for your life. Which is something that, you know, often we find scary to think about because we think God is like a transaction that we can broker a deal with or negotiate with. But the truth is, God is someone who is so in love with you and he has a will for your life. And to be a living sacrifice doesn't mean you're like preaching sermons and um, a level 10 vegan and all these amazing things. A living sacrifice is when you as an individual can respond to the will of God for your life. And that's actually something that is not easy to do. And there's a reason for that. Because verse 2 of Romans chapter 12 says, you know, by the mercies of God, be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Verse 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And this is where, where the scriptures or Christianity starts to become a real challenge for you and for I. Because of, of, the, of the, the human nature in which we exist. Because logically, doesn't it make sense that if I do good things to someone, good things, that someone should do good things for me? That's, that's the way of the world, isn't it? Um, what's that famous saying? When um, nothing in this world is free. You heard that saying before? It's actually true, isn't it? Nothing in this world is free. It's totally true. Like, if you want to have respect in your community, you've got to be, you know, a pretty respectful person yourself. You've got to earn that respect. You've got to earn that trust in the community. If you want, you know, good grades at school, year 12 students, it's a bit late now, you know, uh, you've graduated, so it's all good. Um, you know, what are you got to do? You've got to study hard, don't you? You've got to achieve better than someone else if you want a better, higher percentage in your, in your grades or whatever it might be. You know, it's this like competition, like you only get out what you put in. This is, this is the way that we naturally come to God and this is the way that I grew up with God because I was making deals with God thinking God's love and forgiveness is based on my ability. Have you ever felt like that before? Has that ever been your experience when it comes to all your thoughts when it comes to Christianity? that we've got to achieve something. And the, Bible's talk, the Bible talks so often in the New Testament, of the world, but not of the world. You know, and, and, I, and I still um, hear pictures of, of my, uh, hear stories of my parents telling me, you know, don't do worldly things. If I, if I were to say to you, don't do worldly things, what comes to your mind? You know, often, it, you know, we, we think of like, you know, someone out partying hard on a Friday night, you know, or, or we think of, uh, for anyone here who's been a Christian for more than 50 years, you think of someone going to the movies, don't you? You know, or, um, you know, well, for me growing up, it was swimming on the Sabbath, right? Uh, and, these, and these type of things. But the, 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 the scriptures say, do not conform to the pattern of this world. 
When the Bible talks about the world, it's actually talking about something far more than someone's external behavior. It's actually talking about human nature's ability to negotiate. Human nature's ability to say, well, logically, according to this world, if I want to be rich, I've got to work hard, so that's what I've got to do. And it works, doesn't it, in this world? Or someone says, well, if I'm going to be a healthy person, then I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to make some changes to my lifestyle so I can be a healthy person. And that works according to the way things work of this world. You know, if I want to be trusted uh, by my friends and my family, then I've got to prove myself to be trustworthy to others. No one's just going to give me their trust and their respect blindly because according to this world, things need to be achieved. And it's true. You want to put food on your table? What do you have to do? You want to pay the bills? What do you have to do? You know, if you want to be a good student, what do you have to do? But the scriptures are saying, do not conform to the pattern of this world. And the picture that that paints is not so much the idea of someone being wild or doing crazy things, right? It's not so much about that. What it's the heart of it when the scriptures talk about, do not conform to the pattern of this world, the heart of it is this. Do not approach Christianity in the way of which you approach the world. Because we've got to live in the world, don't we? You know, some, Christ, some Christians, all the um, sanitarium sausages that they cook up here at, uh, uh, on Saturday morning, believe that it's get buying them and going and living out in the sticks, right? Away from everyone. Some people believe that not conforming to this world is like, you know, um, dressing like you're from the 1800s, all right? We've got to look visibly different to everyone else. For some people, it's not shaving the sides of their beards. You know, I've met some people who believe that. It's a sin to shave their beards because that's what they, people do in the world. When the Scriptures talk about the world, it's not talking about those things. It's talking about the mindset, the worldview in which we approach Christianity. Are you going to approach God in the way you approach the world? You know, and for me, I thought I was going to heaven because I didn't swim, swim on Saturdays. What a worldly way to think about Jesus. You know, for me, I thought I was going to heaven because I never did the things that my friends at school did. What a worldly way to approach Jesus because we're approaching God in which we say, God, I can earn status with you. It works at school and it works at work. But it doesn't work when it comes to Christianity. Because Christianity is so different to the ways of this world. In fact, it, according to the mercies of God, this idea of the mercies of God is you have nothing to give God that he wants. In fact, if you got the best of you and then combined it with the best of someone else next to you, guess what? You still don't have anything that is like, hey God, look how good I am. Which is something we struggle with because according to the world, well, you know, the great Australian saying, work hard and be good to your mates and you'll be right. Christianity doesn't work on that system. That's the system of the world. Christianity works on a totally different system. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. You know, in Ephesians chapter 2, we read, you were, you were dead in, the tre in tre trespasses and sin 
in which you once walked following the course of this world. That's a pretty significant statement to say. You were dead in sin because you lived according to this world. What does that mean? Let me paint the picture for you like this. You know, I could give up something. I could give up an addiction in my life, right? So let's say I'm I'm addicted to smoking cigarettes and, you know, and um, I want to be a Christian. And because of my natural worldly thinking, the first thing I think is, well, to be a good Christian, I've got to give up this thing in my life, right? Now, let's say I have the willpower and the strength and the ability to give up cigarettes. And I give cigarettes up. Have I done anything to contribute to my salvation? According to the world, I have. But according to the scriptures, according to the eyes of Jesus, I haven't. I've done a good thing life here, you know, I might not get lung cancer, you know. I might save um, some money every single year by not buying cigarettes. But have I done anything significant to contribute to salvation and following Jesus? Not really. Not at all. I've done something good for my life here and now, but have I somehow bought my salvation through my ability to be a more moral person? When we function according to the world, we're dead. But this is where the goodness of God shines. Verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 2, but God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in sin, he made us alive together with Christ. Isn't that an awesome thing to think about? Like, who does that? Who, who runs a successful business or a successful life on the idea that while someone could be dead in sin, Jesus Christ can make them alive? See, when I say God, that you have nothing that God actually wants, what I mean by that is you have no ability to assist in God bringing you back to life. This idea of salvation in Christianity is not based on your ability to perform in your negotiations or your deals with God, but it comes down to the fact that God, because of his mercy and his grace, has gifted us with salvation. To the point, even though we are dead in sin, because of Jesus, he has made us alive. That's pretty awesome. Therefore, we do not conform to the pattern of this world, but we are transformed by the renewal of our mind. And this idea of being renewed by our mind, right, this idea of the way in which we approach Christianity or the way in which we view Christianity, it's a renewal. It's something that, that is the gift of God. And it's not based on because you've somehow switched the lights on in your mind and say, oh, I'm going to be a real holy Christian now. It's not, that's not the basis of it. The basis, basis of it is this renewal takes place. And the best way I can describe it is what does God want? He wants you. We don't have anything good to offer God, but God wants us who are dead in sin in order for him to make alive. And I want you to picture, is anyone here into cars or doing up cars or anything like that? 
I'm a YouTube mechanic, which means I don't know what I'm doing. But uh, Christianity renewal is, let's go to the car yard and buy a brand new shiny car. We think, yeah. This idea of being renewed by the transformation of our mind is the idea that you've just bought a bomby, broken down Nissan Navara D22, right? That needs a lot of work on it. And it's in the process of being restored or renewed. This is, what, this is the gift that God is offering us who have nothing good to give him. We don't have anything to offer that he wants. He says, I don't want, you, I don't want what you think is good. I want you to give me your heart because it's only when I have your heart as it is dead in sin, then can I begin the work of restoring your life. So I want to fast forward now. My, uh, my deal keeping with God is sometimes I still do it, to be honest. I think it must be human nature, right? But I make deals with God. Fast forward, I went to Avondale College and I studied ministry and theology. And then, you know, I got placed at a, as a pastor of a church. And about two years of being a pastor at a church, you know, I'm still making deals with God. You know, I'm still saying, oh, God, you'll forgive me if, you know, I do this or, I, you know, I do extra Bible studies or preach even better sermons, right, or things like that. And I'm still making these deals with God. And then I was doing something in the backyard, and I've got a dog. Um, I shared this with, with um, some young people at camp. I've got a dog. Her name is May. She's a Rhodesian Ridgeback, right, for anyone who's dog. Anyone dog lovers here? Like me after this story, okay? just want to put that little claws out there. So my dog, I knew, my dog's been in my life longer than my wife Raquel, right? And, uh, and my dog likes a reminder of that. And uh, sometimes I forget that, you know, sometimes I uh, forget, you know, sometimes I, my dog gets me in trouble sometimes. Like we went to Cape York and I got a family photo, but I forgot my family. But I had my dog, right? You know, and there's a few, it was a long drive home, right? But, uh, you know, so to paint the picture for you, my dog's my best, my best friend. And I feel sorry for my dog because I think she's got anxiety that, you know, when you leave your dog and they like, they think the world's falling apart. That's my dog, right? I'm in the backyard and I'm doing some work, uh, painting a bookshelf in the backyard. And my dog, who's just a puppy, like probably two years old, comes up and she's shaking her tail, right? And she comes up for a pat because I'm her best friend, you know, and, uh, and she shakes her tail onto the bookshelf that I'm painting. She puts her dog hair everywhere. You know the real short dog hair that Ridgebacks have? Now, without a second thought, without, you know, without thinking about it, just my natural instinct, instinct, right, was to turn around and kick that poor dog in the ribs so hard, right? And she put her tail between her legs and she ran away into the bush. Anyway, my heart broke when I did that. You know why my heart broke? Because the neighbours were watching. <laughs> no, not at all. That's not why my heart broke. My heart didn't break because of that. Although sometimes when it comes to a relationship with God, we are sorry only because we get caught out or because there's a bad consequence. But that's not really being sorry. In fact, I wasn't even sorry for the action of me kicking my dog, right? 
I wasn't sorry for the action of kicking my dog. You know, I've kicked my dog a few times before then, like holding the baby and the dog wants to jump on you, like, whoa, you know. The action itself, you know, I wasn't even sorry for the action of kicking my dog. You know what, you know what broke my heart? It was for the first time God showed me that it wasn't my action that was the problem, but it was the fact that I have a heart that has the ability and the willingness to hurt something that I love. Just think about that for a second. Think about that in all your negotiations and all your deal-making with God and all you know, the good morals you think have somehow compounded interest of salvation with God. Just think about that for a second. God is saying to be transformed by the renewal of your mind is not to somehow live this perfect life where you've got it all together, but it's to come to the realization that you have a heart that has the ability to hurt someone or something that you love. And this is why deal-making and negotiations don't work with Jesus. Because you can make all the deals and all the negotiations, negotiations you want in the world, and some of you will do it successfully. But the problem is, you will never know who Jesus is at the end of it. You will just know who you are. But when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, when you come to know him, when you approach him, not as a product that you can somehow pay for or a deal that you can broker, but when you come to him as a person who has a will for your life, you realize the action is not the issue, it's the heart. And my heart is willing, sometimes longing, to hurt the one that I'm in relationship with, Jesus Christ. And this is the beginning, this is the starting point. This is the very beginning, in my experience, of how we get to experience a new life in Jesus. For some of us, we've been fighting I call it fighting the bad fight of sin. We've been trying to change our behavior for so long unsuccessfully. Some with a strong willpower have done it successfully, right? Well, a false sense of success because you actually, anyway, we won't go there. But Jesus is saying, if you really want to experience a new life, a renewed life, a new way of thinking, you need to know my will for your life. That's a transformation that takes place. And the problem with that is when you have a relationship with Jesus, you see for the first time that your heart has the ability to hurt someone that it loves. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is the good acceptable, and perfect will of God. What do I share this, this, this message with you today? Well, I was asked to preach on starting point. And I'll share this with you today because I went through the first 24 years of my Christian experience making deals with God, and in the process of that, 
Never, ever experienced God for myself. I never experienced the power of God until I was a second-year minister for the gospel. Think about that. Two years into being a minister. Because for the first time, I realized God wasn't buying what I was selling. God was saying, I want your heart. I want the heart of you, Christos, that has the ability to kick your dog. I want the heart of you who are dead in sin. I want the heart of you who has the ability to hurt someone or something that you love. I want your heart. And that, for me, was the very beginning of my journey with Jesus and experiencing the goodness of God because for the first time I realized the walk of being a Christian doesn't start with me, it starts with Jesus. And this is good news, and it's good news for you because when you leave this place today, you can know that even though we are dead in sin, you are alive in Jesus Christ. What this means is you could, this could be your very first time of ever hearing about the name of Jesus and you could be drunk and dead in sin, but Jesus' salvation is complete for you right here and right now. You can leave this place knowing that you are saved. Not because you had something to sell to God, but because God is saying, I want you. I want to make you who are dead alive. What does this mean for those who are like me, who, you know, you may have been a Christian for a while now, and, you know, you're still making deals and brokering deals with God, you know, and it comes to a point where you actually become discouraged because you make all these deals with God and none of them actually are successful. And you start to wonder if you were ever serious about following Jesus. Well, this is good news for you because Jesus is in the business of renewing hearts for his kingdom. Not because you've renewed them, but because he can renew them. And this is good news because this is good news for those who have been Christians walking with Jesus for 100 years. It's good news for you too. Because the more you walk with God, the more you realize just how dark your heart is. And the more you realize that one day soon, when I get to see Jesus, then I will be renewed and restored in him. Not because I finally brokered a deal successfully, but because he, in his mercy and his grace, makes the one who is dead alive. And we are dead in sin, but even while we are dead in sin, because of the grace and the mercy of God, he has made us alive. May the Lord bless the reading of his word.